Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Her Story. Today's guest is Marcus Martin, and I'm really excited for you to listen to our conversation about race, about tokenism, about lack of representation in the musical theater world, among many other issues that are occurring in today's society. So I'm so happy that he is here and that he's talking with us, and you will see why in just a minute. So take a listen, and thanks. Hey everybody, my name is Marcus Martin. I just graduated about a month and a half ago from the musical theater program at Baldwin Wallace University. It's actually where Cassidy and I met. I'm an actor, singer, content creator. I'm from Akron, Ohio, which is where I'm quarantined at right now <laughs> uh, until our industry gets back up and running and then I'm gonna take off and go to New York to hopefully launch a career. <laughs> yes, yeah. awesome, that's great. Congrats on graduating. Thank you. You did the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've been through it. Not in your major, but. Yeah. No, I mean, it's tough. (laughs) That VW kind of life is tough. (laughs) Yes, it is. VW is in Berea, Ohio, and it's not a very big town. And there's not too much to do. There's stuff to do in Cleveland, but not so much Berea, so. Yeah, which I actually kind of like. I kind of like that if you want to find all of you know if you want to find all of the grand things you it's not that far away you can get it but also you can come back i think for people in a program or in a institution as vigorous as our training program actually i think maybe being in in a place that's kind of isolated and not quite filled with nightlife and etc etc kind of to our advantage but also if i want to find that i can you know go 25 minutes down the road yeah less distractions yeah yeah Yeah, for sure yeah i definitely agree so marcus what made you pursue music as a profession (laughs) well I'm an only child and grandchild. Oh. Um, Really, really great in certain ways. But it was also, you know, kind of a bummer when I was younger just because, you know, I didn't have anybody to play with. You know, at at, at the house, it was just me. And so my parents were really uh, big on getting me involved in extracurricular activities to get me around other kids my age, just to build my social skills and teamwork skills, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just, you know, to get me out of the house. We were a family that believes in extracurricular activities, and I'm so grateful for that. And so we tried all of the sports because my family has a little bit of an athletic background. My grandfather was a great football player. He's actually in, like, the Akron Football Hall of Fame. Um, wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and my dad played football, played it. You know, he got a scholarship in college. He coached football. I did not get that gene. <laughs> it worked out like that for me. So I tried all of the sports. I love sports to this day. I love talking sports, watching sports. I just can't play it. So I tried all the sports. It was a failure. I played goalie in soccer. I used to get hit in the face with the ball all the time. I scored goals for the other team. I mean, it was tragic. Um, and so eventually, after tons and tons of sports, my mom, you know, decided to go ahead and try something new that she noticed that I was a very entertaining child. I always loved singing for people, talking to people. I was always doing one man shows. Like we would go to church and, and then when we get home, I would do a one man show version of the sermon that the pastor just preached. You know, I was always into entertaining people. And so my mom was like, all right, well, theater camp might be thing for you. So this summer, we're going to take you down the street to this theater called Weathervane Playhouse in Akron, still there to this day, an awesome place. And I did a theater camp, and I fell in love, and as they say, the rest is history. So, you know, years later, I ended up really, I started doing theater as a hobby at first. I loved it. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't quite a career path yet. And then when I was about 12-ish, 13-ish, I was like, all right, this is really what I want to do. That's Um, great. Yeah, I ended up at BW, actually, because, um, uh, fun fact, Akron, Ohio is actually 45 minutes away from BW. Not far at all. So if you grow up in Northeast Ohio, 
you know, doing theater, especially musical theater, you hear the name, you know, Baldwin Wallace a lot because we have one of the best conservatories in the country, but especially one of the best musical theater programs in the country. Number one. Woo. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of our grads have gone on to go on Broadway and tour. So I would go see shows and see graduates from BW in the shows. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's right up the street. So that kind of made me interested at first. And then I did a summer program there, overtures. And, you know, I ended up at BW and here I am now graduated. <laughs> Yay, that's awesome. Yes. So great. Growing up in your, you know, I'm sure you had public school experiences and you were involved in music in some way. Were you in choir at all or were you just in sort of just the musical theater realm? I was. In high school, I was in choir. I <laughs> I did not appreciate it back then. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I had the experience. And, you know, of course, I did that choir requirement that's required at BW as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's really, really important. I learned a lot of skills in choir that, that you can take. The thing about being a, a music student is that you can't call yourself a lover of music, a performer of music, a student of music if you only want to do your thing. Because there's things that you can learn from so many different realms of the music mm-hmm. and the music industry and genres, et cetera, et cetera. So I did choir in high school and the first couple of years at BW. Yeah. That's, that's great. Would you consider the school district that you came from and your choir program to be necessarily diverse or was it not quite that? Uh, it actually was pretty diverse. So I, I went to private school earlier on in life. And then in middle school, I went to a performing arts school. Technically, it was part of Akron Public Schools, but because we were the performing arts school, we got a whole bunch of special treatment. And it, it really didn't have like a public school experience. It was kind of magnet school. It kind of had that feel to it. Yeah, uh, my high school, yeah, actually, I would say it was fairly diverse. I remember being in class with, you know, a lot of people of a lot of different ethnicities, you know, as far as the musicals go at school, I got to play the Baker and Into the Woods, which was really cool. I got to play Mushnik and Little Shop of Horrors, which now looking back on it, like made absolutely no sense. (laughs) Um, So so yeah, I'd say our high school did a pretty good job of diversity, the best they could. The, The high school that I went to, Copley High School, which is the, the suburb that I, I that I live in. I, I say Akron, but I actually live in Copley, which is a suburb outside of Akron. But mm-hmm. to Akron. And Copley isn't an incredibly diverse city anyway. So, you know, you, you're not going to, you can only do so much with what you have in the school district. Yeah. Um, but I'd say it was a fairly diverse experience. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel when you were involved in musical theater growing up and you know, we always go through those awkward years in middle school and high school. We're trying to figure out who we are and what we want. And we care about other people's opinions when we shouldn't and all those things. Did you, did you ever feel ostracized or like you needed to hide who you were and like the passion you had for musical theater? Or did you always just feel like, Hey, I don't care. This is who I am. And it's great. No, it was, uh, it was tough. Social anxiety is something that I've struggled with my entire life. And definitely that was like a really big aspect of it. You know, I was always obsessed with fitting in and being liked and being a part of the in crowd. And, you know, boys doing musical theater wasn't really, you know, wasn't cool. (laughs) So many different names. You know, I, I learned what so many inappropriate and terrible you know, gay slurs meant for, I heard them for the first time at school because yeah. I did musical theater. And then this is this earlier on in life. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely a struggle at first. Um, and then as I got older and kind of matured, I just realized that people are always going to have something to say. Um, uh, I, I grew up in, in a very spirit, I grew up in a Christian household and my mom would always say, people talked about Jesus. They found something to say about Jesus. So <laughs> there yeah, are people always going to have point. something to say. Like, so you can't, you can't let that way, you can't let that weigh you down. And, and I knew what potential I had and I knew, you know, that there was some type of gifting in there somewhere and I, and I wasn't going to compromise that for yeah. the sake of others. And you loved it. So yeah. that's enough in, in, in of itself to keep pursuing that because it was yeah. something that you loved. Yeah, I, I completely agree. As a middle school and a high school teacher now, because I teach seven through twelve band, yeah. and yeah, and one of one of my colleagues at work and I are pretty good friends, and he's the high school choir director, and we often we often talk about 
our place in our jobs because me being a female high school band director is a rarity. There's only yeah, about is. 15% of us it in is. the country. And so we, we joke around about this because him being a straight male as a high school choir director, he's a little bit of an anomaly as well. And yeah. so we talk about all these assumptions that people have about us and our jobs and those things. And it's, it's kind of funny because we are kind of the opposite in our jobs. Like yeah. I should be the choir director and he should be the band director according to these social norms. And I see a lot of kids in our theater productions and I'm really happy that they have a role model like that to see because he's so involved in the musical yes, and all the vocal stuff that yeah. the straight men that we have that are involved in our theater productions feel comfortable because they have that representation in front of them. And they're like, Hey, there's another guy like me who's doing this and who's throwing himself out there and he'll go up there and he'll sing the falsetto parts <laughs> that the girls are singing. Like he'll go up there yeah. and he'll be with the female lead and he'll be like trying to get her in a match pitch with him. And he's just so confident in the way that he does that and carries himself that these kids are like, Oh, Oh, well, Mr. Miller thinks this is cool, so it must be cool, right? Because right, they have yeah. that level of respect for him, and I think that's that's so important. Yeah, that that's exactly the reason why. That was one of the factors that made me kind of stop caring what people say. Because I was like, you know what, one day, you know, this is I'm going to be able to use, you know, mm-hmm. my story to hopefully inspire somebody else, you know. And, and there was a time when actually I used to uh, teach at the, at the theater that I grew up uh, performing at. And, you know, we had some some guys in the class, and, you know, they would, oh, I'm scared, I'm going to make fun of at school, or the girls are going to laugh at me, or, you know, especially seeing young, young Black kids, especially young Black boys, because I was mm. And so that was a really big factor of me kind of getting over my fear, uh, because representation is so important, and, and we need this, you know? So maybe, you know, when it's when years from now other kids won't have the same experience or the same fears because they see uh, you know your coworker or me or etc uh, doing it so yeah you're absolutely right yeah and I think for you at least you have that extra layer of race as well mm-hmm. and yeah. so I think there's a lot of stereotypes associated and this is just me talking as a white person because I've never mm-hmm. actually experienced them myself but what I have seen is there are a lot of stereotypes in the theater community and in just classical voice study in general that are the systematic things that I feel like are already put up against you because there's all these stereotypes, especially about black men in theater that they can't play certain roles because you're all supposed to be aggressive and you're all supposed to be super masculine and all these things and then so I feel like society kind of puts you in this box and is like here these are the five roles that you can play and they don't diversify their casting enough that's just from what I've seen and I'm not obviously a participant in that but that's kind of my view on it yeah it's yeah it's definitely a thing I Really, B.W., you know, I, I owe a lot of credit to specifically Kyle Jean-Baptiste, the late, great Kyle Jean-Baptiste. Mm-hmm. I met Kyle on my visit to B.W. when I was 16. And he was talking about, you know, getting out of that mindset and really getting out of that box and not allowing people to place you in a box. Because, yeah. why, you know, and he was a junior at B.W. at the time. And he, you know, talked about, you know, how he actually had help with that at BW. And so then, you know, seeing him and developing a relationship and then watching him go be the first Black Jean Valjean on Broadway was just yes. like, yeah. crazy. He literally prophesied it his junior year, <laughs> talking to me at the, you know, in the dining hall after my tour when I was 16. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, really tough. There's, there's so many different layers to it. I'd say you are, it's funny, I've been thinking about it a lot as I forge my path into the industry, because a lot of times in institutional situations, you know, the casting pool is really, really small, you know, so in in high school, in college, in et cetera, et cetera, the the casting pool is small. So you'll kind of, you know, this is what you do, this is your thing. But now I'm, I'm catching myself as I no longer have that and really having to rethink about 
who I really am, what I can actually do outside of the casting pool of, you know, an institution, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's, oh gosh, just so many layers to it. Yeah, so and, and I, I think that the thing with music that I never understood why these things occur and these systematic racist things occur is because the primary sense we use in any form of music, whether it's musical theater, whether it's an orchestra, wind ensemble, choir, what have you, is auditory, Mm -hmm. right? So what you look like does not affect your talent in either producing a sound on an instrument or your voice. Yeah. And so we try to associate appearance with those things. And to me, it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, we always get linked to, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, we do gospel and jazz really well. We created gospel and jazz. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know we, we always get linked to that, but I don't, you know, sometimes I wonder if they realize that we can do things outside of gospel and jazz, you know, mm. and, and at least in, in my in my specific field, you know, everyone is always like, oh, you know, you can be in Hamilton, you know, or you'll be the genie in Aladdin. And I was like, you know so it's yeah there's there's always a box and don't get me wrong I mean I'd love to be in Hamilton the genie is actually one of my dream roles because it's a yeah oh uh, it's a fun time but yeah just letting us do other things outside of what you think we can do um and the thing that's so hilarious about it is specifically the thing that makes me laugh because it's just so ridiculous is that I don't think we realize how much impact Black people have had on every genre of music. So much That's me snapping music, for you. <laughs> literally all of, like every genre of music has some type of Black influence. Yes. Um, and, and that was, and, you know, something that I ended up talking to, you know, the powers that be at the conservatory at BW about, which was, which was kind of odd, um, was the lack of acknowledgement of Black History Month, just because BW, you know, in the con, we pride ourselves on history. You have all these music, Western music history, Histon Lit, you have all these history courses. But like, when February pops up, like, we don't acknowledge the Black contribution to literally every genre of music that you play, that you study, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so fortunately, the thing that I love about BW is that they'll always, they're always willing to listen to you and they're always willing yeah. to, you know, do some work. And, you know, they let me and Professor Stephen Banks, who was there at the time, he's now at Ithaca. Shout out to Mr. Stephen Banks. Stephen Banks. Um, they, <laughs> they let us do like a Black History Month uh, feature video, yeah. like a video series, just talking about somebody in a different genre. You know, and, and this year they were involved with some things and they brought some more, you know, they brought some black music, black musicians and black music companies and like black African drum companies, et cetera, et cetera, to the con to do performances during February, you know, and, and that's an effective change, you know, that we saw and it was really awesome. But it was just like, how can you not acknowledge <laughs> how yeah. our role in so much, um, it so much, you know, we, we've seen this quote all over social media the last few weeks, but this country was literally founded on white supremacy. So there's okay. so many bad habits, some intentional, and, and, and probably for people in this generation, unintentional, because they have no clue. It's just what they know because they've been passed down for hundreds of years. Yeah. But there's yeah. just so many bad habits and, and bad terminology. Uh, one of my, mm. <laughs> something that always sets me off is uh, <laughs> the topic of Elvis being the king of rock and roll. Oh, uh, yeah. Going on a long tangent, but like Elvis stole all of his music from black people. Oh, yeah. Oh, I am a white person, Marcus, and I will go off on people about that. Because if you have any respect for music history and the history of rock and roll at all whatsoever, you know that that information is inaccurate. It is just like, I mean, you know, he was a great performer. I mean, that little Mm -hmm. little thing was cool and everything. But, I mean, he even stole that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, aspects of his showmanship. I mean, Chuck Berry, uh, Little Richard, I mean, you, those yes. are really the the kings of rock and roll. And and it's and Elvis admitted that he used to go down to the church and like hide and, and, and listen to the music outside of the church and then go record whatever he heard or record, mm-hmm. you know, a sped up version or slowed down version of something that he heard by a black artist 
because he knew that nobody would know because no you know black artists weren't really getting pay- played on a mainstream platform no they weren't uh, even getting recorded by mainstream platforms exactly so elvis yeah. could you know steal their music and claim it as his and nobody would ever know so yeah that's just an example of the so many systematic things and there's so many things that that we were that we learned that are just so wrong oh, <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah no i completely agree and there there are a few points that i want to make based upon what you were talking about before one being that conservatories and music schools may think that they're not in control of the curriculum and the content that they're planning for their students, but they are in absolute control. There's no standardized testing that's holding them back. There's no set (laughs) curriculum. There's no nothing. You plan your class and what you want to teach. And yet we go into these music history classes and 98% of the people that we learn about are white people and men basically. Yeah. there's there's little to no focus on world history of music. There's little to no focus on composers of color. And if there is focus, sorry to cut you off. If there is oh, focus ahead. on world history of music, it's always the most stereotypical thing. So yes. we'll talk about Bollywood music, or we'll talk. You know, there'll, there'll be a paragraph about Bollywood music. Like that is the only contribution that that culture, you know, brought to. to brought to the table musically or, you know, talk about rhythm and blues or whatever. Yeah. And even the the phrases that are used to describe it, like, can we, can we cancel the word, I hate the word cancel, but can we cancel the word barbaric? Like literally, (laughs) like I've read that, I've literally read those words in textbooks to describe Bollywood music. Like, how is that a thing? (laughs) Yeah. And I think, if we're looking at a K-12 music education standpoint, it's kind of the same way as what I just said at the collegiate level. We aren't held to the same standardized tasks as other subjects are and things like that. So teachers can't use that as an excuse as to why they're not teaching their kids music by black composers or other composers of color. And I think having a concert or some sort of thing honoring black music during black history month is a great thing but i think we also have to go beyond that and public school teachers need to start putting pieces on the program every concert with composers of color because there are a lot of them out there they're just not being performed so people can't say oh well there's not that many no there's a lot of them out there you just have to do the digging and you have to take ownership for yourself and be that for your kids and yeah. show them that there are people that look like them that are successful in the music industry. And you, and said something really, really important. you said something really important about it not just being on special occasions that celebrate Black mm-hmm. people. I think, you know, the Black contribution to the world is 365 days a year. You know, the Black contribution to music is 365 days a year, which leads to another layer of being Black in music, which, which is in specifically in, in my in my field, and I know this is about music in general, but for this specifically, I'm going to focus on MT, is tokenism and how we use our mm. Black performers. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I personally have, have been really, really blessed because I've gotten to play all kinds of, you know, colorblind casting, whatever that means, you know, colorblind cast roles, gotten to play a lot of non-traditional roles, and I really haven't had to deal with tokenism that much personally but just because i don't have a deal with it, i'm not gonna act like it doesn't happen or act like i haven't seen it happen to other people you know i have friends at other schools who their theater department or will do fences in february and that's the only thing that they get that the black that the black people get cast into that entire season and then if you wow. look at the cast list of all the other shows it's all white you know or yeah. You know, black people would get one cabaret in February, but that's the only time you see any of them. <laughs> the only time you see any of the black students in your musical theater program are at that cabaret, et cetera, et cetera. It's summer stock seasons that will hire people, just for the people that may not be familiar. Summer stock is when a summer theater does a show full of seasons and they have one company do all of the shows. So say you have, so, so say in a season you're doing color purple, Monty Python and Les Mis, right? You'll bring in actors, you know, they'll hire actors just for the contract of Color Purple and then let them go home after that and then bring in, 
your other people for the other two shows mm. instead of just hiring a company that can do all three. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's another aspect. I think it's great to do Black History you know, month programs. I think it's a great start. And I think it's important. And, you know, June, celebrating Juneteenth, which I'm glad that we're doing now in music school, especially when it comes to like percussion, we talk about African drums and, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about like Kwanzaa and et cetera. That's awesome. But Black is 365 days a year. Yes. Black contribution is 365 days a year. And, and so that has to start being acknowledged outside of just the tokenism of, you know, making yourself look good. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I teach a class of eighth grade general music randomly. It's kind of weird. Just one class. <laughs> and I teach in a pretty diverse school district. About 60% of our school is white, but we're pretty much a reflection of the racial proportions of the U.S. So almost exactly like uh, I remember when I was hired, they had a pie chart of our student population and then they put the pie chart next to the US population and how the demographics kind of played out and we were literally the same. Wow. So it's it's pretty interesting. And the, the school that I teach the general music class at all of the kids are on a free or reduced lunch. A lot of them don't come from great familial situations and things like that. And my eighth grade general music class was probably the most diverse class I've ever had to teach. And a lot of my focus was on the contributions of Black artists and musicians to music, which because I was completely in charge of the information that I was giving my kids. And I think that more music teachers and music people in education need to realize that, hey, like you are in control of what you're feeding the children. You can't act like there's this higher power that's telling you what to do. No, I was in complete control of, we're going to learn about this person. And now we're going to learn about, and I planned this whole thing out. And that is one of the things you brought up the, the, uh, the story of Elvis. That's one of the things I talked to my kids about. They didn't know that. That's awesome. You know, I talked about how the violin was originally a black instrument. Yep. Yes. And so I'm like, you, you associate the violin with very white classical Western music, but they stole that from (laughs) black people. They sure did. So you can't even argue that classical music is white because it's not white owned. Nothing is. It's nothing. A lot, any form of popular music that we have today. So we're pushing classical music away. Any form of popular music you have today was started by people of color. Yeah. Yeah. Education is everything. And I'm so glad you're doing that because, you know, it's really our generation and the generation beneath us that's going to have to be the ones to start the change Mm -hmm. that we want to see in this country. Education is everything, influences everything, which is, uh, uh, Hamilton is on my mind right now because, of course, you know, it's coming out on Disney Plus uh, tomorrow. By the time this is released, you know, you guys, everyone has probably watched it 50 times by the time this is released. But, you know, it's coming out on Disney Plus. And I just think about all of the, you know, and, and I know some of these people, all of the white families and you know the white kids that love Hamilton they know every word and they're gonna sit down tomorrow and watch mm-hmm. 50 gazillion times and and sing along to every single word but like are you gonna talk to your kids about why every one of those actors <laughs> fear fear for their lives when they leave the stage door uh you, you know I mean the, the 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 real problems in this country are you gonna talk about the fact that this was, you know, one of the first really, uh, why it was such a groundbreaking show because us as African-Americans don't get shows like Hamilton. Are you going to talk mm-hmm. to your kids about the truth behind some of the characters that these people are playing, um, you know, and, and that they were slave owners and et cetera, et cetera. Are you really going to talk to your kids about, uh, are, you, are you just going to take this black culture and, you know, consume it, or are you going to care about the Black lives that the Black culture comes from? Yeah, um, and I, I think that starts with educating our yeah. kids, too, because yeah. one of the biggest issues that I have with general education, so even just putting music education aside, is that we teach kids that Black history started with slavery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's it's hard, because then you have black students in your class and they have no sense of identity of where they are from or any sort of 
culture. And I mean, well, A, because their culture was ripped from them, but B, because we just start teaching kids, hey, all of a sudden black people were here and they were slaves. Boom. Yeah. 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 We were in Africa. They came, stole us, put us in chains, put us on the boats. And now here we are. Yeah. And there's so much more to the story. And and I'm really blessed because my parents were so big on education and me knowing my history and knowing where I come from. My dad, he's a principal now, but he actually used to be a history teacher before he got That's great. principal. So he was always giving me all kinds of history. And my mom is really big on education and knowing where you come from. I mean, my mom was actually a stay-at-home mom for the first 10 years of my life. So she always was spending time with me going over certain things, you know, that I knew. But everybody doesn't have that, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I was blessed. But everybody doesn't have that luxury, you know, to have parents whose work schedules align, parents, two parents in the household, parents that can afford to stay at home, you know. And, and, and so for those kids that aren't getting that, <laughs> I can't imagine if all I knew about Black history is what I learned in school, the yep. couple of paragraphs about us in school. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Even, you know, with, with Juneteenth happening a couple of weeks ago, so many people were like, I didn't know what Juneteenth was. Until, yeah. and, and you hear it so much. Yeah. It's just so many things are instilled. And, and another layer, like I said, I, I kept saying that there's so many layers to this, but another layer is, is classism. You know, because of, uh, I know for me, being in musical theater and being in the arts in general, and a lot of extracurricular activities, but specifically for the sake of, you know, this show, talk about music, it takes, it's really expensive. And, you know, I'm really, really blessed, but like, it's, it's tough because even just to audition for schools, that costs so much. I mean, audition fees, application fees, travel to each school, an outfit, buying the right dance shoes, buying the right dance clothes, being in the right training programs. And a lot of times those training programs is where the connections happen. And we all know that when it comes to music and just life in general, but especially music, it's not always about talent. It's about who you know, what connections you have. You know, so connections is the biggest thing in our industry. And those connections happen at these training programs. And a lot of that is going to the kids who can't afford it and the kids that are privileged. And that's why you see so many, you know, rich white kids being in certain spaces because because of uh, systemic racism, you know, we have so many black kids that can't afford certain things. Mm-hmm. And, and so many talented black kids that, that can't study musical theater or can't study it at a high level because they just can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and that's where you have the disparity in jobs and the disparity in employment. And, you know, it, it all comes back to systemic racism. It really does. Yeah. yeah. And, and me just being an instrumental person and teaching band, that's, I think, one of the main reasons why kids of color don't pursue instrumental music. Because, okay. A... They don't see people in the field that look like them yeah. because representation is so important. Yeah. And, and B, if they are socially economically below average in the community, yeah. they may not be able to afford to rent an instrument or buy an instrument or those things. And that's one of the things my school district is doing is I didn't charge a kid at all to rent an instrument. That's awesome. Yeah. No, because I was like, I don't want to be that force that's holding a kid back from learning music and getting a music education because if they want to be here, they should be here. So I didn't charge a single kid because I was like, this is stupid. The rental fee from the school ends up going into the general school population. So it's not even coming back to the music program. So our rental money is going to pay for the football uniforms or something like that. You know, (laughs) it's not actually coming back to us. It doesn't make any sense. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to waive this because it's not equitable at all. And, and I had kids coming up to me and saying, you know, I have a single mom. She's working all the time. She's trying to take care of us. She can't pay the $50 to run an instrument. And I said, you know, I don't want you to quit band because you can't afford it. So let's figure out a solution. And so I think, more people need to be willing to, to, I don't even want to call it a sacrifice because I don't think you're really sacrificing anything. I think people right. just need to be 
more open to solving those issues of inequity, even just small things like that. Yeah, it's so important. So much comes down to money. I mean, and, 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 and representation as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think about idols that I had and, and, and I don't know, you know, if, if I would still be doing this if I hadn't seen Norm Lewis, his first performance as the first Black Phantom on Broadway. It was on my birthday and I went when I was 17. I don't know if I would still be doing this if it wasn't for that. I didn't yeah. have that hope. You know, I didn't, I, I don't know if I would still be doing this if I hadn't seen, you know, my first Broadway show, which was Memphis, which was full of, 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 of black people, you know, and, and those people, even those older black actors that spoke into my life when I was younger, I don't know if I would still be doing this if it wasn't for them. So representation and, and equity is so important. It's so important. Yeah, because we should be, and I'm not a musical theater person again, but we should be casting the most talented person for the role. Yeah. Right? It should be about who can do the role the best, and that is it, period. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh gosh, this, you see so much, and it, it really messes with your head. You know, like I said, I, as a person that just graduated and I'm going into the industry, you know, I'm really, really excited, but I, there's a sense of anxiousness and nervousness, not even with anything talent related. I'm not saying that to be cocky or anything. It's nothing of that nature, but strictly just because the way this business, you know, especially the entertainment industry is all about political things that are out of our control. And unfortunately, the entertainment industry can sometimes be rather lazy when when it comes to casting and when it comes to the kind of stories they want to put out, you know? And so I always wonder, like, you know, am I going to have a place when if, I mean, whoever knows if Hamilton will ever close, but if Hamilton were to close, would I have a place, you know? And I think that's why we need to stop putting so much value, uh, our mainstream culture uh, needs to stop putting so much value in, in the diversity moments, because mm-hmm. equality and diversity is not the same. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can, we confuse that a lot because I've heard, you will not imagine how many white people I've heard say that, well, things are getting better. Like, like there's Hamilton, <laughs> especially <laughs> when the show first came out. The one show, uh, the token and, show. And, and, and it was funny because, because the Tony's, uh, Tony Awards that year, all of the awards ended up going to black actors because there just happened to be a lot of shows with black people on Broadway that season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so everybody just wanted to scream like, oh, everything's better. And, you know, there's nothing to complain about because, you know, Color Purple and Hamilton. I'm just like, that's, it's, it's, not, it's not everything. <laughs> there's, there's so, there's, that's, that's not it. You know, having black kids in, in the ensemble is not equality that is diversity and that's not even real diversity if you want to be honest so really just not doing the bare minimum is a big thing that i think our society needs to accept yeah and that's why i i use the word equity when i talk about yeah. things like this because and people don't quite understand what the word equity means a lot because they ask me, oh, you're talking about money? I'm like, no, I'm not talking about financial equity at all. But there's no. there's a difference between equality and equity, right? Like equality is we're giving the same thing to everyone. And then equity mm-hmm. is we're providing the resources for those that may not have the resources in order yeah. to achieve that. And then there are a lot of issues with the idea of equity as well, because it does almost push, and you have to be careful with this, it can push the concept of white supremacy because it pushes the assumption that people of color need those resources all the time or that they're somehow beneath white people in a way. So we have to be careful when we even talk about those things too and making those assumptions as well. Yeah, and I mean, and a lot of that comes from mainstream media representation. I mean, you know, if, (laughs) <laughs> I didn't see black excellence, you know, in the way that I see it. And, and, and I wasn't black and I didn't see, you know, both of my parents who are very well college degreed and their friends that are very well college degreed and seeing success and seeing black mm-hmm. excellence. And I, and all I saw was what I saw on TV. All I saw was the certain movies. All I saw was 
Real Housewives of Atlanta, no shade, like get your money or whatever. But like, if all I saw was Real Housewives of Atlanta, like, <laughs> yeah, it's the representation of black people in mainstream media has to change. Has yeah. To and I think um, that not, not only affects people of color, but that also affects the way white people perceive people of color because I was so infuriated. I grew up in a, in a very all, all white, pretty much wealthy community, pretty much conservative in their viewpoints. And there was one girl, I'm not going to out her, but she went to high school with me. She's a year younger than me. And she, I, I unfriended her and blocked her because I just don't have patience for people like that anymore. I'm like, I, I can't even deal with you. But she posted this post and it irritated me. And she said, it was something along the lines of maybe if black people want to be successful in this country, they would stop just being basketball players and rappers and in jail. And like, she just started listing all of these stereotypical things that I feel like somewhere along the line, someone did a disservice to her. And I think it's (laughs) not only because she was in this bubble for her whole life and she never was around people that didn't look like her, but also because I think the media pushes these negative perspectives of black people all the time. And unless you're a rapper or you're in sports, that's the only view of black excellence that people see. Absolutely. I I think it's such a problem. And even the way if, if you really pay attention to the news, the way the news words certain things, I can be, I can have the TV on in the living room, right? And I'm in the kitchen making dinner and I can tell what kind of story they're talking about based on the terminology they use. Mm. There's, there's cold words that they use for black and there's cold words that they use for, for white, you know, there's, and, and even just the way we cover certain things, like when George Floyd was murdered, they talked about like, well, in 2008, he had a, uh, an, an arrest for this, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. But when Dylan Roof goes and murders, shoots up a black church and, Oh, he was a promising kid, but he was troubled. He had oh, the yeah. and you know, even just the way we talk about certain things, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I think the language, the terminology, really has to change. There's a lot of, and that's something that I had to learn later on in life. Actually, I didn't get it when I was younger. My mom used to say, but I didn't get it when I was younger. But coded terminology is a really huge issue when it comes to racism. Coded terminology is a huge issue when it comes to racism. And just those little phrases that you hear, you know, if you grow up in an all-white town, you know, those will start to creep into your thoughts. Yeah. And and that's why college is so important, because I know that there are some people that come to college and meet their first Black person, meet the first Black person that they ever see. There are people that come to college and see successful or well-spoken, <laughs> I'm putting that in quotation marks with people listening because yeah. they mercy, but well-spoken, quote-unquote, Black people for the first time, you know, and, and their minds are absolutely blown. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous, which is why it's so important for institutions to educate because so many people are coming from, cool thing about college, I, I loved college so much, but it's just, you get to meet so many people. It's a big melting pot of different cultures, different beliefs, different, just different experiences. And so you have, colleges have the power to really shift how a generation can think, how a generation can go about doing something in the world. And so, if, so taking that serious is so important. Yeah, Teaching the right things in those situations are so important people also need to hold themselves accountable and educate themselves in these issues because a lot of people think that their education stops after school and then they never pick up a book again or things like that. And one of the people that I've been listening to a lot is Jane Elliott. She's been an educator in race ever since she taught third grade in elementary school. And she's just this old white lady, but she's a firecracker. Let me tell you, she will like shut people down so quick. And I love her for it. And it's great. And one of the things that one of the videos I was watching of her talking was she brought out a world map. And Mm -hmm. it was was a world map that I've been seeing since I was a kid in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And she said that the Pope at the time when they were creating this map wanted all white 
dominated Christian denomination nations to be blown up in proportion and all these other continents or areas or whatever to be decreased in size. Yeah. He wanted Europe and the United States to be more centered in the map and all of these things. So you look at the map and she said, you know, South America is like four times the size of Greenland, but Greenland looks like it takes up over half of South America. And then she pulls up this map. That's actually everything drawn to proportion and Europe and the U S look so tiny. And all of a sudden South America's big and Africa's big and Asia's big. And, And you're sitting there and you're like, holy crap, I've never noticed that before. And it's just even yeah. those subtle things, like just having that hanging in a classroom and that visual, and then actually seeing what, hey, this is what the world actually looks like. We're yeah. actually not that big. We're actually pretty freaking small. And so just seeing that was just, I was like, holy crap. It that's starts crazy. So early. It starts so early. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, it's going to take work. It's going to take time. You have you know, over 400 years of white supremacy that this world, that this country was founded on, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to undo, but it really is just in, it's, it's, it's in the foundation. It's really, it's what kind of foundation do you want to build when you are, you know, teaching kids and when you are teaching your own kids, you know, when you're raising kids, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I completely agree. You had mentioned the current issues that are going on in our country right now Mm -hmm. with the murder of George Floyd and everything. And you're talking about how the news has worded things. (laughs) And really, they were just trying to justify a murder. And there are so many issues with that situation and people covering things up and saying, oh, he didn't die of asphyxiation. And And if his family hadn't gotten that private autopsy done they probably couldn't have justified cause for murder in that situation. And one of the quotes that I saw, because obviously everybody was posting about this on social media and all of a sudden everybody was like, racism is an issue. And I'm like, it's been an issue. It's not, it's not, it hasn't gone away. And (laughs) one thing was Will Smith said this and he said, racism isn't getting worse. It's getting filmed. Yeah. And that hit me just being a person that, you know, if I, I've never been pulled over by a police officer, even though I do speed. So don't find me. But when, when I always thought about myself in this situation, I'm like driving my car and I'm like, if I got pulled over by a police officer, the first thought through my brain would be, oh shit, how much is this ticket going to cost me? You know, I wouldn't necessarily be fearing for my life. Yeah. As a woman, I get afraid when I walk alone in the dark. And that's a fear that I have to have that a white man never has to fear. Mm-hmm. But if I were to get pulled over by a police officer, I wouldn't be fearing for my life. And that's a huge difference that people don't quite understand. My first thought would be, oh, shit, like, this is going to be a hefty fine or something like that. Yeah. I, would, I would be fearing for the ticket, not for the person, you know? Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> – I have kind of mixed-ish feelings about – I, I, I don't necessarily want to say mixed mixed dish feelings because I think it's awesome how aware everyone is now. Mm-hmm. But it, it also kind of makes me chuckle that it took pretty much you being not allowed to leave your house for you yeah, to be paying right? enough attention to really care in a way that it's not just news for a couple weeks and then go. Yes. You know, it's, you, you, we see this news cycle and, and it's kind of exhausting of something happening and then it just goes away and happening and then it goes away. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, seeing everybody be so dedicated this time is really, really awesome. And I, and, and I can definitely feel that this time, that this go around, I feel that it's different. I definitely feel that it's different. Oh, yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the ways, you know, companies are, are shifting and changing, et cetera. The way that colleges, I mean, even the things that, that my program is doing, they're doing some really awesome things. And so I, I definitely feel like it's real this time. There's also just a sense of like, it took all this. Yeah, right, <laughs> it took right. All of this. Like, if it wasn't for Corona, like, would you care after three days, after two days, really? Yeah, and we try to act like the civil rights movement and everything that came with that is so far removed <laughs> from our modern time. And we try to act like it's ancient history. And I'm like, my dad was born in 1965. Literally. It's not that far removed at all. And so we try to act like everything's going to be solved tomorrow. And I'm a pessimistic person, but I like to say I'm a realist. And I think that 
with our generation, the generations that follow, I think things will continue to be, I don't want to say solved, but I feel like they're going to move in a more positive direction. Our, think, our generation is definitely change. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're I'm going to use the term that the kids use these days, but I think we're more woke <laughs> in the sense yeah. that we realize these issues and yeah. we're not colorblind. We see color, yeah. but we're also more understanding of what's going on with my, minoritized populations even more than the previous generations. We're not in denial about it. We want to actively be anti-racist. And I think yeah. that when we start to populate the world, I think that will continue. However, I don't yeah. think this is a situation that's like, boom, tomorrow racism is over. Okay, everybody go home. For I don't sure. think that will happen. Yeah, I think even even the denial of racism after Obama was elected was 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 quite yeah. hilarious. You know, like, oh we have black president, like everything's great. Yeah. You know, the, the denial of racism that came with that. Um just thinking about how it was not that long ago, you know, that, that the civil rights movement was happening, yeah, you know, like Emmett Till. I mean I mean if Emmett Till would not have been killed, you we still would have been alive like i think you would have been like in like in his 60s or 70s or something like that mm -hmm. so like it was not that long ago mm -hmm. and, and we act like it was and i think another thing that's really gonna have to happen for people to really affect change is why people are gonna have to start checking their egos in the sense of and this isn't even necessarily just a white issue this happens with all sorts of issues but in this specific instance it's why people having to check their egos because there's a sense of you know if you do the right thing like on the surface level you're not problematic so like just because you know you are anti-confederate flag and mm -hmm. you're not you're nice to black people and you don't which everyone should be anyway <laughs> right right yes but yeah like, like even though you're you know like oh i don't believe in confederate flag or you know oh like, you know I, you know like i don't say the n-word it can still be problematic in other ways yeah <laughs> and you know and and i think sometimes white fragility is a great book if everybody hasn't read it please read mm, it yeah but i think sometimes the the word racist stirs like oh i'm not what what like you know i don't mm -hmm. dislike black people when you probably don't dislike black people <laughs> you know but but that I can honestly say that I've had more racist experiences with non-racist people than like Confederate flag waving, and that's yeah. like non-racism quotation marks. Yeah. You know, the Confederate flag waving, you know, pickup truck, go back to where you come from. I haven't had any of those. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had <laughs> the, the person follow me around the store, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so I, I think really just checking egos is really really important yeah because everybody has prejudice yeah everybody has biases and that just comes from how you were raised yeah. what our society's like our our system systems that are in place our culture and all those things and they all have effects on us and so we can't say that we're colorblind because you're yeah. you're lying if you do yeah. <laughs> and yeah i can say that as well not that i've experienced it but that i've seen it that yeah. people and people get defensive Instead of saying, oh, I'm not racist and that sort of thing. I think people should approach it as, I am so sorry if it came across that I was attempting that. Yeah. What can I learn from that? What, yeah. what different language can I use? How can I make this better? And I feel like if people have just humble themselves and focus on, I'm going to become better. I'm going to use better language. I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to talk to people that don't look yeah. like me and get where they're coming from yeah. and just approach it from a peaceful standpoint instead of going on the defense yeah yeah because i mean honestly i mean it's a thing for all of us i mean there's mm -hmm. we often you know whether racism involved or not like we all have done something that like came off a certain way which we didn't intend for it to be or something that we say or do or don't say or don't do it, it hits somebody really really hard in a way that we didn't see coming not even out of malicious intent happen that's part of that's part of humanity but when it's brought to the table hold myself accountable and how can i fix how i'm thinking or not thinking to make sure it doesn't happen again yeah, and like I said before, I grew up in a very dominantly white community, and now I live in, in the city of Rochester, which is a pretty diverse city, and I notice the differences in how people of different colors react and communicate with me because of 
the privilege that I have with being the race that I am. And I was, I was driving down a city street. It was like on the east side of Rochester and I was just going to Subway yeah. to get a, to get a sub. And <laughs> placement. this episode is sponsored by Subway. Yeah, right. <laughs> and <Come on. laughs> and I, I was going to pull into their parking lot and it was like blocked off with some caution tape. And I was like really confused. I was like, I don't know where I should park. And I rolled down my window and there were three men standing there. All three of them were people of color. I think two of them were black men. And I said, oh, excuse me. And they all kind of looked at me strange, like, why is this young white chick just randomly talking to us? And they actually backed away from me. Absolutely. Because there have been so many white women that have just instigated shit that have called the police for literally no reason, just because they get on the defense. And there's just so many negative stereotypes surrounding black men that we could, we could literally talk for three hours about that. And so, and, and that hit me and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Like that was the first time that I had, I had seen that happen. And I said, oh, well, I, I'm confused. I don't know where to park. Can you point to, you know, where, where I need to go? And they're like, oh yeah, you can just park there around the corner. But they're just their initial reaction to me, just like pulling up to them and unrolling my window and saying, excuse mm-hmm. me. Yeah. They, just, they backed up and they looked scared. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm yeah. sorry. I just yeah. need to know where to park. You yeah. know, and that was so eye-opening to me. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a little thing that made me sit there and really think about because with everything that's going been going on and being a teacher and just finishing my my first year and teaching a diverse pool of kids, I try to sit there and I try to think about how can I use my privilege to help my kids and that sort of thing. And so that really made me sit there and think wow that's something that i never have had to experience before yeah the thing (laughs) the thing about growing up black is that you are you are trained in certain situations yeah Uh, i'm trained you know i mean the way that i think about the way that i go about taking my trash out is different like i get you know i take my id with me when i go take the trash out i take my id with me when i do anything you know even when i'm walking around my development or you know I, i Think about what streets I go down. You know, we are trained in certain aspects. I know when I was growing up, I was told that whenever I'm in a store, keep your hands out of your pockets at all times. Make sure mm. you're visible. You know, I was taught that when you go to a gas, you know, if you're on a road trip, you go to a gas station to use the restroom, buy something, buy a pack of gum, buy a slushy, which I was probably going to do anyway, so it's not a problem. But <laughs> <laughs> buy a slushy, buy a pack of gum, buy something. So that you don't look suspicious. Change the tone of your voice. Make your voice make your voice higher. You know, have some extra smiles. I mean, we are trained in, mm-hmm. in we are trained in in how to deal with how to deal with being in white spaces to a T. When I was in high school, you know, my best friend uh, from high school was white, and him and I would go to the mall, and like both of our parents, you know, would be there when we were about to leave. They're like, all right, sweetie, have fun you know, have fun, here's some money, yada, 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 you know, like 10 seconds spiel. Keep your hands out of your pockets, don't have your hood on, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I get, I had a whole, you know, I mean, my mom was talking to me like I was a boxer and I was getting ready to go into the ring. And, you know, she was my trainer. She was giving me all, everything I needed to know, giving me the whole rundown, the briefing of the situation. Just those small things that growing, uh, those big things, uh, I guess I would say small, but those things that, that growing up black brains, um, it's, it's no joke, no joke. Yeah, black. yeah. And as a woman, you know, we're we're taught certain things as well. And I can't yeah. imagine being a black woman and having to deal with the racial stereotyping in certain situations, but also the gender issues as well. Like I was taught, never walk outside alone. Never even walk to your car in a parking lot alone. Always carry your keys out. And things mm-hmm. like that. Like I've debated on carrying mace or pepper spray with me and things yeah. like that, just because our population is is so vulnerable in that. Mm-hmm. And I can't completely relate to you on everything that you've experienced, obviously. And I think that my fear is just is a minute amount of what you've had to experience. But I could not imagine being a black woman and yeah. having that just magnified as well. Yeah, there's, there's so many different layers. 
there's, I mean, I mean, it's a whole other story when it comes to being a black woman. Obviously, I don't know, I'm not a black woman, but just like you know, my mom and I are really close. My mom was boy. My mom works. <laughs> my mom works in corporate America with mostly white men. Um, and my mom has all types of stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I could not imagine in that just being the parent of a black child and having to have those conversations from yeah. a young age because we can say, oh, it's just adult black people that are being shot or being victims of police brutality, but it's not. Wow. I've seen videos yeah. of young kids. So you're yeah. having to teach your kid from the age of seven or eight years old all these things before they go play outside with their friends. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's funny actually, because, because we live in a mostly white development and there are some kids next door there, you know, it's a group of black kids next door that they love to walk around the development and go to the pool, et cetera, et cetera, and do things mm-hmm. together. And literally my mom and I were just out running some errands yesterday and we saw them all together. And we were just like, you know, we were like kind of scared for those kids, but we were like, Oh Lord, you know, somebody's going to see a group of, young black kid playing or whatever and somebody's gonna call the cops <laughs> you know like yeah. that that is what we think yeah there's that there's that worry and that fear that is frankly shouldn't be there yeah absolutely but there absolutely. are so many systems in place that are promoting that fear and those biases and all these other situations that could talk we could talk for days and, and delve into all of these things because there's just so there's so many layers but yeah, the, the, the more the, the more we learn about the systematic racism mm-hmm. and the more certain stereotypes or assumptions are going to kind of be out of the picture you know there's a certain there's there you know people I've seen some racist things and, you know, like, well, you just like go to college and do something with your life. The college system is set up. It's set up against us. I mean, literally there's systems for, you know, it's not just like, well, I mean, I'm poor, you know, you know, like, you know, white people saying, oh, I'm poor, but like I worked hard. So like I made it happen. Not the same. (laughs) Not the same, you know, so as long as, as as much as we really educate ourselves on, on the systems that are in place intentionally, to keep black people down some of those stereotypes about black people being whatever it is unmotivated or whatever it's crazy hopefully those will start to go away yeah I, I agree educating yourself is a very very important thing and i think people are recently <laughs> coming to realize that yeah. that the yeah. education school systems have failed us and they've continued to fail us and so i think yeah. especially teachers they have the power to to change that for sure yeah because you, yeah you are in control of what you are providing to your students absolutely it's so great it's so great that teachers like you know that and are using their platform and, and doing the work doing the right things to create change because like i said earlier it's going to be our generation and the ones below us that is really that are really going to be the ones to, to change the world yeah and yeah. so my my final question for you is and this this you may this might be a very deep <laughs> answer for you but okay Picture someone, let's just say a mini Marcus, another kid Mm -hmm. who looks like you, who identifies like you, and wants to pursue musical theater and wants Mm -hmm. to excel and succeed. What advice do you have for them to keep themselves motivated and to keep going, even though there may be these systems that they experience in place? And we talked about putting people in a box for roles and things like that. So what what advice would you give your former self or someone who is like you? I would just go, <laughs> I would go to, and, and for anybody that that does not identify as Christian, I'm sorry, you know, I'll try to be offensive, but I would go to one of my personal favorite Bible verses, which is your gift will make room for you. It's, mm-hmm. it's short, sweet, simple. It's kind of something that I've always gone by. There's been things along the way but in my experience when something is for you when people realize the gift and anointing if you will that that is on your life you know the things are going to work out the way it's supposed to your gift will make room for you you know what people may think they see or think they might know about you you know when you open your mouth or when you start to dance etc etc that is going to going to open doors for you it's going to break down barriers it's going to break chains so that's what i would say that's beautiful i love that that's awesome all right. Well, Marcus, I want to thank you for talking to me. I think we got some some real insight into things. And I think this promotes the idea that people 
who look different from one another and come from different backgrounds can have conversations about race and it doesn't have to be uncomfortable and there doesn't have to be these barriers and that sort of thing because I, I feel like there's still a level of discomfort when it comes to talking about these issues and in some way discomfort is okay because I mean this yeah. isn't a necessarily a comfortable issue so in some ways discomfort yeah. is yeah I feel like having these conversations is a good step towards understanding experiences and where people are coming from and yeah, and why these issues still exist and why people have the values that they have and how we can help one another and how we can provide change for the future as well yeah i agree thank you so much for having me this is a yes, this is great thank you marcus i appreciate thank it thank you thank you for using your platform to promote change and to amplify black voices thank you so much for listening if you enjoy this episode please visit our website And please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following it on Spotify. And if you are on SoundCloud, please make sure you're liking the episode. You're commenting, reposting. We're trying to reach a wider and wider audience as these episodes go on. Also, I currently started a GoFundMe page for our podcast. This is a way for me to raise money to pay to keep our podcast up and running online and for our subscription services as well as I hope to be able to pay for a website domain for the podcast as well. So please make sure you are checking that out on GoFundMe. If you want to look up the campaign on GoFundMe, you can search support the Her Story podcast and you should be able to find it there. Even just $5 would just be awesome. I'm the sole investor in this podcast. It's just me. Obviously, this is my project and I'm willing to put in that time and those financial burdens, but I would really appreciate it if you really enjoy the podcast, if you would like to help out. So I appreciate you all so much. I love your positive feedback that you're leaving on all the episodes. Please continue to do that. And if you'd like to be a guest, please email musicherstorypod at gmail.com. Or you can just DM me on our Instagram or our Twitter accounts and just let me know who you are, what you do, what your story is, and we'll have you as a guest on the show. So please, if you're interested, reach out, contact me. I'm not a scary person, I promise. (laughs) So hoping to bring on more and more great people to have conversations with. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.